Hey there, Ruby fans! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today, we are talking about Ruby Volume 7, Episode 7, The Worst Case Scenario. And don't worry, it sounds dire, but I'm sure things are gonna get better, probably, maybe? I don't know. Let's go ahead and get the ball rolling and we'll see. I'm your host, Megan Salinas, and with me, as always, is a fantastic group of hosts. With me in the room is Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. I am currently the one down with the sickness today, so uh, if I hack up a lung, don't mind me. I'll be fine. <laughs> and calling in from Los Angeles is Stacy Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. Calling in from all the way across the country is Mark B. Donica. What's good, everybody? Hello. What's good indeed? Not my health. Aw. <laughs> I'm doing better. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's like, good for you. Awesome. <laughs> you did this to me. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, for, for people who don't know, Katie and I are roommates, and so definitely when I caught a cold, we kind of figured it was a matter of time before yeah. we, I passed the baton. Fun fact about the common cold, you're contagious for two weeks before you even start showing symptoms. So, uh... Yeah, there's really nothing you can do about this. You just kind of mark time and buy pills. <laughs> well, apart from Katie being deathly ill, how are we all Jesus. doing today? <laughs> <laughs> if I die on air, carry on without me. <laughs> the show must go on. <laughs> Indeed, that's showbiz. Uh, but how's everybody doing? Everybody getting ready for the holidays? Uh... <laughs> Maybe not as much as I should be. <laughs> I've done zero shopping. Woo! I've done some shopping, but no baking yet. Same. It's going to be a busy next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and start talking about, you know, worst case scenario. Uh, how did we think of this episode? Because I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised that this was more of an aftermath episode. I thought it was going to be a little bit more action oriented. That being said, all of this character driven stuff was definitely not unwelcome. Uh, what did we think? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. Same thing. I thought after what we got last episode, we were going to just carry on and go through the night and have everything sort of be in real time. And yet we got very much the opposite of that. And not to say that I didn't, it took me a minute to really get into it just because I was so taken aback by, wait, what happened? There, there was literally chaos in the streets, and now it's just pure sadness. How much time has passed? Is this the next day? Is this the next week? What's going on? It Legitimately, it felt like they put the wrong episode public and we skipped one. <laughs> but that's, that's not to say that this wasn't a good episode. It was. It was just very disarming. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Stacy, uh, I agree. It kind of skewed the timeline for me a little bit. Uh, I was a little thrown off because I didn't expect us to jump so much. Uh, and I guess that I feel like that a lot with, with episodes that end with something very climactic, something very big happening. And you think, oh, we're just going to have to roll through the night. We're just going to have to do the immediate follow up. So when a show doesn't, it always throws me a little bit. That said, it was still a very excellent episode and we got a lot of great character moments and a lot of great like opinions and decisions being made to keep the ball rolling. Katie? For the first time in three episodes, I didn't have 2016 flashbacks. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it 
It was a little disarming that it didn't go immediately into the grim battle, but I can also see why they didn't do that. Because we, you know, we only have so much time in a season, and there's going to be a lot more that happens this season, I'm sure, and so we need to move on to that. I can appreciate that we had another episode that wasn't just combat, that we had an episode that was, all right, we actually do need to deal with the aftermath of what happened here, because what happened here was extremely bad. So I can appreciate that we're doing that. I'll be curious to see how these two episodes stitch together when they release essentially the movie as the season as a movie. Yeah, uh, I always appreciate, you know, going in terms of like going from week to week, seeing how the pacing changes when you watch the whole thing in one sitting. Although I do, I do kind of like watching it online, getting the um, opening every episode, but it is fun sitting down and watching it as a cinematic experience, too. Um, Yeah, I, I have to concur with all of that. This it was very abrupt to jump ahead, but. I I really appreciated what we got. And um so yeah, this was this was definitely a surprising episode, but one that I feel like the character driven stuff is just as compelling as cool, awesome, over the top action sequences. And we even get a little bit of that. So a uh, little bit of everything in this episode. Uh so let's go ahead and talk about like Ironwood and the sort of meeting that they have at the top of the episode because in the wake of the Grim Attack, they've really cracked down on everything in Mantle and in Atlas. Because as the, the news footage goes, even though they've kind of proven that the footage has been doctored, like, it too late. Damage already done. Uh, so poor, poor Penny. Um, and so Ironwood is kind of furious. Every, you know, more people are dying because of Tyrion. More, uh, you know, Penny's been framed just like he's been framed. And Robin is being successful in stealing stuff that's going to Amity Tower. And that's basically emboldened all of the suppliers to stop selling to Ironwood. So shit's going down. And he's not happy about it. And so as a result of this, the construction on Amity Tower is essentially stalled. And now we're at a crossroads. How do we go about per- finishing the tower, especially because it's so close to completion? How do we go about finishing the tower while also maybe avoiding crushing the people of Mantle under Ironwood's boot heel? And in this scene, we get a variety of perspectives. Winter suggests martial law. Nora's absolutely against that. And the sort of conclusion that Ironwood comes to is that Robin needs to be apprehended. Now, there's a lot going on in this scene. And um, there's a lot to unpack just in this one moment because there are so many different characters in there. Everybody has a different opinion and no one's the bad guy. And that's what I really love about this episode is even though everyone has a variety of perspectives, no one's absolutely right or wrong. Like, there are pros and cons to everyone's approaches. And I want to know what stood out the most to you guys. And who do you think is has the the right, sort of, not necessarily the right, because, again, there is no good options anymore. Who has sort of the best option or the best approach to it? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think there was a great option for this. And I think we see Ironwood tipping into paranoia here, tipping into that full-blown, like, locked up emotionally, just how he acts that we kind of all talked about at the beginning of the season here. And I think Nora is the one that puts a quick halt to that, partial halt to that. <laughs> <laughs> she at least slows him down. He, I, I think her very frank, very unafraid to yell back at him and tell him that he is being absolutely ridiculous and going over the top kept him from going complete. I mean, martial law would have been probably the worst of the bad options we had here, at least as far as making any peace with Mantle is concerned. So I think Nora's outburst kind of kept him a little more even keeled than we could have gone. Agreed. Mark? Who do you think, really? Like, <laughs> it, it would kind of be on brand. But at, at the same time, uh, this this was something that I feel was expected from Nora coming all the way from the first meeting with Ironwood. And, and all of her stuff made sense. A bit of a prediction, and it's not necessarily one that's coming out of left field, but I feel like she's going to join the the Happy Huntresses before too long, at least for a short period of time. But that that's just a whatever. I thoroughly enjoyed this scene for all of the terrifying subtext, but I was just about okay with everything that James was saying until on his, his exit, he said, my city. In a very, not necessarily yeah. Batman, but more of like a totalitarian way. So, yeah. Uh, I, I definitely think that Nora was the highlight for me. And while we're talking about it really quickly, I want to take this opportunity to make sure that everybody, if you're a fan of Samantha Ireland, to go check out Wolves Inside, her short film, which is now available for everybody to watch. Check it out. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Let her know that we sent you. Hell yeah. Absolutely. And stay tuned for the credits because you'll definitely see four names that you'll recognize along with a lot of people from Rooster Teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm also going to chime in and say thank God for Nora. We <laughs> definitely needed her input here. And I can appreciate that Ironwood, for all of his faults, for all of his backsliding into paranoia, because let's be real, that is what he's doing here. I can appreciate that when he has this gaggle of teenagers yell at him, he can stop and listen to what they're saying and not immediately shut down the, no, I'm right. No, you don't know what you're doing. No, I'm the adult here. Like, I really appreciate that as a character, he is still capable of stepping back and taking criticism from people. Even if it doesn't always land, even if it's against what he's thinking or what he wants to do, he's still capable of listening. And that's what continues to make him human. Because you don't, dictators don't surround themselves with people who will keep them in check or who will argue with them. They surround themselves with yes men or with remora fish who want the power that they have. So the fact that he still surrounds himself with these people that have differing opinions, that have other perspectives, that can keep him in line when he starts going a little too far off the beaten path, and that he will still consider their viewpoints even if he doesn't like it, says something about him. Says that he hasn't leapt off the slippery slope just yet. He's still trying to do his best. He's not trying to take over power because he wants it. Like, 
I, I think that says a lot about his character, and I can appreciate that. I'm still not happy that things are going the way they're going, and I don't approve of his decisions, but the fact that he can listen to Nora straight up yelling at him about how he's wrong and doing the wrong thing and not immediately have her carted off or downplayed or anything like that, like, I, I can appreciate that. He's still human under there, and he's still trying, and that is how we know. So that and his conversation with Oscar as well, and the fact that he's willing to listen to Oscar, like, it makes Ironwood a complex character, as opposed to this cardboard cutout dictator that needs to be knocked down. Like, I appreciate that. That said, Nora is absolutely right about how he can't keep squeezing Mantle to try to get his job done. Like, there are people down there that matter, and Mantle being mistreated is part of why Robin is so damn popular. And there's nothing wrong with Robin being popular. Like, she is a genuinely good person, and we get a glimpse at her semblance, and it makes a lot of sense for her. But Ironwood doesn't seem to see that. Well, again, he's playing the long game and, you know, it's that that macro view versus the micro view. And, you know, as as Nora points out, he's trivializing things. The, um, you know, because he goes, what's more important, reuniting the kingdoms or the like the the comfort of a few city blocks? And Nora rightfully calls him out. Don't trivialize it like that. People's lives matter, and it's true that reuniting the kingdoms should be a huge priority and is, quote-unquote, part of the greater good, but you don't have to call, you don't have to make people suffer in order to achieve the greater good. Um, and the that, greater good. <laughs> and that's, that's where we, that's where a lot of the butting of heads starts to come out, and yeah, Nora is definitely a standout in this episode, and Samantha's emotional performance is just, oh, it's so good. <laughs> she rocked it this episode. Um, but I'm also going to give it to Ruby, too, because Ruby, it like, Ruby's good heart is able to sort of, you know, she understands why Nora is hurting and understands where Nora is coming from, but she also senses the pain that Ironwood's going through and the the sort of the heartache that he's enduring trying to do the right thing and shoulder all this burden. And so she's able to look at both sides and go, look, arguing isn't going to get us anywhere. Ultimately, that's what Salem wants. That's her main goal has always been to divide us. So we need to come up with a solution that doesn't tear us apart from the inside. Um, so definitely Nora and definitely Ruby are our standouts in this scene. And it's so, so good. Um, I did want to take a moment because uh, last week, uh, when we were in the, the love loft, <laughs> um, when we were in the love loft, uh, both Mark and Stacy, you guys both sort of postulated that Ren was really going to beat himself up in the wake of what happened because he and Nora kissed and then everything went to hell. And even though we don't have a specific beat in this episode where he's like, oh, we shouldn't have kissed. That was a mistake. Like we do have this moment, Mark, where you were saying that Ironwood referred to it as his city and he needs 
and he's giving everybody orders and he's like, is that understood? We get yes sirs from Winter and from Clover and then we also get it from Ren. What does that mean for Ren going forward? Are we going to have a split where, yeah, maybe Nora goes off to join the Happy Huntresses and Ren stays to maybe become a member of the Aesops? Let, let's go ahead and start with Stacy. Uh, well, this was completely expected from Ren, uh, just completely leaning into his work to getting things back to rights. Uh, and yeah, at this moment, he's definitely siding with Ironwood. So I do think that will be a point of contention for them. I don't know that he would necessarily, like, there wouldn't be a resentment necessarily if Nora did go off and join the Happy Huntresses, but there will definitely be some drama there. Mark? So I think they they essentially did what we predicted with subtext by indicating where... uh, Ren's priorities lie and where Nora's priorities lie, we're going to be building toward another one of these conversations that we had in the last episode. And I think what you said, Stacey, I think if Ren on a mission with the Aesops finding Nora with the Happy Huntresses trying to help uh, Mantle will either put everything in perspective for Ren or we'll have another big blow up of what what are we doing? <laughs> what what are we doing? Um, and and it'll I, I very interested, very interested. I've always as I've been on record many many times, especially after the events of season four, just being like stuff needs to happen, stuff is happening, and I very much appreciate it. <laughs> Katie. Honestly, all I can think is, it started out with a kiss. How did it end up like this? <laughs> it was only a kiss. It was only a kiss. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add that you guys haven't already said. I think this is good insight as to where Ren is right now and without having to specifically spell it out because we know these characters well enough that we don't really need that. Yeah. Uh, this This whole scene is so so good because it presents um where everybody's at character wise and emotionally and it presents you know where we are at in terms of where in terms of what decisions we need to make and as as ironwood and ruby point out like there aren't really a ton of options left and so as we go into the next scene um you know ironwood has ordered the apprehension of robin and let's, uh, I mean, we were kind of sticking our toe over into the lover's loft really quick. I say we go ahead and just climb up the stairs and head, hang on out there for this next scene with Blake and Yang. Okay, thank God. If you were going to talk, if we were going to spend an extended period of time on that one look that Clover shared with Crow, I would have, sw- I swear <laughs> to God. Well, however, let's acknowledge that happened. God damn it. That, that definitely happened. What have I done? You, you, I mean, I was going to skip past it, Mark, but now that you've drawn attention no, you, to it, no, I feel like we weren't. need to spend no, the bullshit. next 20 a, minutes drilling down on that one look. <laughs> we'll break it down second by second. <laughs> Honestly, as someone who is sailing this ship hardcore, uh, you know what? This one seems to be in relatively okay waters right now. Let's leave it where it is. We'll come back when there's more. 
kiss, kiss, Ooh. kiss. Please do. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the fandom collectively losing its shit? <laughs> Give us this one thing. I need it in my life. I want it. Please let these two morons kiss. Please, <laughs> please, please. I need these lucky and unlucky idiots to just kiss. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Let's go ahead. And we're on, we've are we been on the staircase. Let's go ahead and get on over into the lover's loft while we talk about some bumblebee. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Now, just like with the previous scene, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, because, again, we have two people who have been through a lot together kind of not necessarily on opposite sides of the issue but talking through their different perspectives um and you know yang in particular wanting to be completely transparent um makes a lot of sense for her character and i i mentioned this off mic um talking to katie but like this it makes a lot of sense for her character because her entire life has been in pursuit of the truth. She won when she was a kid, she wanted desperately to know what happened to her mom and why her mom left. And then in the wake of what happened at Beacon, wanting to know, you know, wanting the truth from Ozpin. And so now being on the side that has to conceal the truth from other people, it's not necessarily sitting right with her. But Blake is kind of on the other end of like, no, we need to be more careful about what we tell to people and who we tell because Ironwood has a habit of overreacting. Um, But one thing they can kind of agree on is that apprehending Robin doesn't necessarily seem to be 100% the right thing to do, but it's, it's tough. So what did we think of this moment? And there's a little bit of subtext here, too, um, where it's not mentioned by name, but they're also kind of talking about Adam and, you know, what lengths you have to go to in order to do the right thing. And so what did we think of this um, kind of interaction? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I really appreciated this conversation, and I did appreciate the bits that were about Adam without directly mentioning his name because we sit here and we go, yes, thank God, finally, we took him out. Hallelujah. Earl had to die. Like, okay, we get that. But you don't really stop and think about the fact that, for one, Blake loved him and might have still because emotions are complicated and not easy to turn off and on that it's extremely difficult to get out of an abusive relationship, which is what she did, especially when your abuser turns around and stalks you and attempts to murder the people around you. Like, mm. So there's a lot of very complicated emotions wrapped up in it. And we as an audience can sit here and take some satisfaction in, yes, they work together, they triumph, we don't have to worry about him anymore. But these are still two characters who had to kill someone else before he killed them and it was someone that one of them used to be in a very deep relationship with and there's a lot of very complicated emotions with that so i can appreciate that we're stepping back and dealing with the fact that we had to kill another person there wasn't another option like he was not going to wind up in prison and just be taken care of he had to be taken out and we had to do it and what kind of emotional toll does that take 
on someone. Like, I appreciate that this show is taking a moment to sit here and examine it because it's not as easy as, oh, we beat the bad guy, that's, that's check it off the list, we're done. So I, I like that they're looking into that. And I like that we get these quiet conversations with them where, yeah, they can talk about this sort of thing. And I appreciate that they're able to have different viewpoints and think different things and that they're coming at it from two completely different perspectives because you have Yang who has been doing a lot of, okay, search for the truth, where's mom, what's happening, realizing she's been lied to a lot. And Blake, who has been, who comes from a historically oppressed class and who has been part of uprisings and rebellions and whatnot before, and that they're able to listen to each other's opinions that are informed by these very different experiences and still have this very calm conversation and figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do in this situation? What do we think? How do we feel about this? Like, this was such a complex scene for how short and simple and quiet it was. And I really, really appreciate when Ruby does things like this. Like, what a good, solid show. Mark? I found it interesting that th they established that this sting was a bunch of different groups of people, but this was the group that we were going to follow. And I, I would want also interested in wondering what else was going on in all of those other vans, what other conversations were happening. There, so for as much as we're seeing in this season about trust and either lack and possibly the lack thereof there's a lot of stuff that we're not seeing there's a lot of information that we are not privy to similarly to how surprised we were at the beginning of this episode that it wasn't just a direct continuation what happened at the club what happened at the movies what's happening in all of these other vans and at the same time something that with this scene and the the following scene with the robin chase that i'm very interested in finding out whether, and this is, uh, while you guys are up there in the love loft, I'm down here in the corner. Uh, Aw, come, no, no, come on up. Because, <laughs> because we now know that Watts has direct access to every public system, every sort of uh, piece of monitoring equipment in the city. How do we know that he's not listening to every single conversation connected to an electric device that's that was one of the things that is just like everybody's saying all of this stuff out loud but he's he's in the he's in like we know that he's <laughs> he's around if even though he's not around he is around so yes to everything that katie said but this in the subsequent scene there is a lot of stuff just said out loud in the streets <laughs> Also, how many were they around like public housing? Were they saying stuff where everybody in the surrounding buildings just heard their plan? Like we know that <laughs> it's a dark alley where Watts is set up. So, I mean, there's a lot of dark alleys in Mantle, but how do we not know that it conveniently or whatever he's listening somehow? And Tyrion's in every dark alley. Tyrion's in every dark alley, and Watts is listening to every conversation. Serial killer. Man, like. It's it, sometimes it's hard to acknowledge these quiet moments because they may not be as quiet as we think. Ooh, I mean, that's a very good point. But we also kind of have to step back and realize that as good as Watts is, he's only one man. He can't surveil literally everything ever. 
And honestly, he's probably got priorities. Like, given the little bit that we have at the end of this episode, he's probably spent a small chunk of time preparing for that. Digging up what, quote-unquote, evidence. Digging up anything he can to try to upend Ironwood. So I would imagine that that would be where his priorities would lie. But you're right, we'll see. I can imagine him setting up certain vocal frequency uh, preferences to keep an eye on any sort of uh, communications for, like he knows he knows the people that he's trying to keep an eye on. He knows the people that might be in the city. And if anything ha- if anything can happen, and, and if he's so plugged into the the technological scene as we find out, uh, then I don't think I think he can leave a lot of stuff running in the background, come back and be like, all right, what did we what did we record today? That's that's sort of what I'm getting at. Why can't we all just fight to the death? Yeah. <laughs> it makes things much more simple. Well said, Maria. Um, that I think the main thing to take away here is that that Watts can't be listening to everything, but you don't know when he's going to be. And he doesn't have to. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing to keep in mind. And also, okay. I'm going to go ahead and make a note uh, on my next uh, shopping trip. Uh, Mark needs more red yarn. Um, not sure how much <laughs> of our budget is going to be allocated to red yarn in the future, but it's going to be a substantial percentage you joke but i am actually running low um if you would like to contribute to our red yarn budget we have a kofi at <laughs> well uh not not to not to steer away from conspiracy corner but we are in the love loft mark yeah, you are you are no you guys are i'm not let us beckon you back to the love loft i uh, just yeeted this ball of red yarn up here so we can connect the two uh, our the entire building is now covered in red yarn. Stacy, the entire building is made of red yarn. Stacy, what did you think of this interaction between Blake and Yang? So basically, everything as far as like the analysis of the conversation itself, yes, uh, to what Katie and Mark were saying. This is a hard conversation to have, and it had the possibility to be an extremely contentious conversation. And what? This scene stuck out to me, the framing of this scene. Ooh, yes. How this conversation was framed. When it started, we have Yang sitting higher up with her back to Blake. They're not looking at each other. It looks like there's a lot of distance between them. And so when this conversation started, it was kind of with dread. Like, as I'm, I'm like, oh, no, Some, like th- they're not going to be eye to eye on this. As we go through the conversation, as they share their ideas, there's a lot of openness and you see the trust. And by the end of the scene, they're both turned facing each other. There's a lot of direct eye contact. So the framing of the scene was just absolutely phenomenal for the difficulty of this conversation that we had to have. Yeah, it's it's always important, uh, especially in exposition sort of heavy episodes and scenes it is important to keep an eye on how the director is conveying these messages like it is so so like it's good filmmaking because it's so easy to make a a scene where two people are talking it's so easy to make it flat and static and boring and ruby never does that 
Like there is intent and care with where the cameras are placed. And when we cut back to each character, like there, there's a lot of thought that's put into um, creating a scene between two people. And it's how they, it's one of the many ways in which you keep scenes interesting and how you convey the emotions going into things like again this is a visual medium and it's awesome (laughs) it's funny how in in a scene with a lot of exposition there's still a lot of show don't tell um so excellent point stacy um but yeah it is it it is a tough conversation breaching the the subject of adam is a hard discussion and yeah, it could have like these two different perspectives on how to do how to go about doing the right thing very well could have erupted into an argument. But no, like for a moment there, I thought, oh, these are going to be the two characters that run off to join the happy huntresses. And even though they don't run away and join Robin's merry band, uh, we do have a moment where, yeah, there's. You know, Robin opens up that truck and it's like, ah, cheese it, it's the feds, we gotta go. (laughs) And um, they end up having this little scuffle and then ultimately uh, Blake and Yang reveal part, not all, but part of the truth to Robin. And this is when we find out what Robin's semblance is. And I I do want to take a moment to point out that we get to see three out of four of the semblances of the happy huntresses it's and how they're using that to their advantage to steal uh supplies that are leaving mantle to go to amity tower robin has the ability to she's basically a human lie detector marigold is the one that has the ability to conceal their whereabouts and fiona has hammer space question mark it's it's really cool. Um, what stood out to you the most, or what was your favorite of these semblances? Let's go ahead and start with Katie again. I want to know more about what Fiona does. Wh- what? 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 Okay. What? Like, is it hammer space? Is it piece by piece teleportation? Is it what is she doing? Can you fit a person in there? There's no oxygen in a bag of holding. If you throw someone in hammer space, do they die? Um, I have a lot of questions about hers, but in terms of the one I like the most, honestly, it's Robin's. I think in terms of a show like this, and I I tend to think in D&D terms on occasion as well, you have a lot of people who think that combat is the most important thing, and so you have your builds meant for strength and dexterity and constitution, and you know the hard skills. Soft skills are so so important your intelligence and wisdom and charisma based skills because your hard skills will get you through a combat encounter but your soft skills will get you through life through interacting with other people and so i can really appreciate that robin's semblance is very much a soft skill there's no combat use in that but i think that's i think that works really well with her character because She is a woman of the people. She is someone who cares about the people around her, cares about doing what's right, cares about the city and the people in it. And the ability to talk to people and to to be able to find out what the truth is just from touch is extremely helpful, fits really well with who she is as a person. 
And then shaking someone's hand is also an act of greeting, an act of trust, an act of accord. So that factors into that as well. There's there's some really great symbolism going on with that, as well as practicality. And there's a level of trust in using that semblance as well, because if you're within handshaking distance, you are also within stabbing distance. So things to be careful of, but just in terms of, oh yeah, no, this fits really well. I think Robin's is my favorite from what we've seen. Stacy, Yeah, the Huntresses have stacked semblances. They do! <laughs> like, we just gotta acknowledge that first. But yeah, uh, Fiona's, I have so many questions. I feel like we got more questions answered about the other semblances, but Fiona's just, wait, what? How does this work? What are your limits? That is an unbelievable semblance. Uh, so to find out more about that would uh, be really welcome. I, I'm also very curious, can she transport people, living things? Is it, you know, is that why they're emptying out the transport folks? How does it work? Uh, I was also grateful we got to know more about kind of the invisibility barrier. Uh, you know, not multiple people with the same semblance. She has a literal field of invisibility. Very useful. Indeed. Mark? The, there's so much. Katie, essentially hit everything that I wanted to say about Robbins. I love that for somebody who has to, somebody who is trying to be a, a political entity or at least just a public figure. One of the main things about them is that diplomatic and trusting nature of, uh, I'm going to trust you. And similarly to how Katie said, it brings you close enough to stabbing distance that goes both ways having to be close enough to somebody to use the semblance both i would say emotionally and physically is uh huge really and uh i I was a big fan of that and i like how back in the the confrontation scene with the truck she was like come shake my hand and uh, now it's like oh that's that's what it is i don't know what it is but that's something that's a thing um but uh, similarly to stacy i want to know what the limits of fiona's are how does how does she expel the things <laughs> that go into the hammer space? Can it be controlled? Is it something that just sort of slowly Tron scans into, or or can you just like can you just exit all exont? Like, can we just get rid of everything all at once? Um, and I do like how it's not just like uh, oh for Marigold, it's not just oh we're invisible, but it's like a refractory dome. Or reflect reflection dome and it's not necessarily it doesn't create any you wouldn't you wouldn't know unless you can see through it i like how everything is pretty well balanced when it comes to use and risk versus reward it what a what a fun little thing where we got so much information we still don't have the semblance for <coughs> the the huntress with green hair I, i'm missing her name uh it was either joan or joanna I suppose okay. one of us could look it up. What, huh? I remember it being an analog for Little John. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I love oh, okay. it. <laughs> yeah, we still don't have her semblance yet, so I'd be interested to see what hers does because, yeah, these are all pretty complimentary semblances, especially if you're pulling off a heist, which <laughs> is definitely what's happening right now is just a series of heists. So I can appreciate that. Like a lot. 
And we also know that Penny is able to see through Marigold's semblance, or even if she can't see through it, to detect that they're there. So she can't be fooled by that particular semblance. It's good to know. Not, not going to lie, when Marigold first used the her semblance at the top of this episode to make the car disappear, my first thought was, where's the van? The van was supposed to be here. <laughs> Oh, man. No, this is all all three of these are really, really cool abilities. And yeah, I, I have to concur. I think Robbins says a lot about her character. And but I think out of all of them, probably Fiona's is my favorite because that's probably the one that I would use the most in my own life is just like anytime I have to move. OK, no problem. Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, all these boxes are now in hammer space. Grocery shopping. Yeah, for sure. So, so much easier. Um, but, uh, yeah, l- before we move on to talking about Penny in particular, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and subscribe and leave a comment. We love hearing from you. It does a lot to help us be more searchable on our new platform, and also it brightens up our day. And we don't have any new ones this week, but if you leave one, we'd love giving you guys a shout out on our show. Uh, But even though we don't have any new iTunes ratings this week, we do have a couple people we want to shout out. In particular, um, there are a few people on Twitter and on our Discord, which you can join in the description uh, below. But um, so there are a few people who want we want to give a shout out to who had suggestions about our um, I think we were talking off mic about this. Uh, I guess our rooster team lair at this point, rooster team retreat, uh, studio apartment. I don't know. I feel like we well, all agree that lair. definitely not a studio apartment. <laughs> no, we've got we've got at least an apartment with a loft at this point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more like the Ruby Redux retreat. <laughs> I think Lair was my favorite description. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> um, but definitely, we wanted to give a shout out to uh, Carso26 on our Twitter, who was wondering if anybody wanted to make fan art of our particular weird living space that we've created. Carso was from our Discord, not from Twitter. Oh, sorry. Did I wrote down Discord? I don't know why I said Twitter. <laughs> that happened. Just, just make it in the Sims. <laughs> um, Cam Griffin, Great. also a friend of the show, who uh, proposed that we create a sad attic area called the Sadic, where we can go and retreat. And if I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, this one was on Twitter. Chrysarasaurus. Did I hope I said that right? Sounds good. Uh, propose the no 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 nook (laughs) also for when things get emotionally devastating i feel like we'll spend a lot of time there (laughs) in the no 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 nook i really i appreciated all of these suggestions really 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 sweet um also nick on our discord wanted to know if fans could come up here um or if it was something that we all had just ids that give us special access to and i say that uh, fans are welcome but like we do have a bar here so maybe maybe if you're 21 and up you can come and hang out invitation only (laughs) but um i also had a proposition for you guys for when we do need to look up what would you guys say if we created a 
lore library for when we have to look up information that we don't immediately have at the top of our domes. Only if we call it the library. Hmm. <laughs> you knew that was coming. I don't. I don't like wow. it. Wow. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well. Mm. <laughs> You've known me for how long? Anyway, um, so yeah, we we might be making reference to the lore brewery at some point. Hey, it's a Me- thing now. Megan, you called it the lore library. That's what I you did. called it. <laughs> Stay call, strong. Call it whatever the hell you want. <laughs> the library of lore. Um, no, that sounds much more <laughs> mystical. But um, we so we might be doing that in the future. But anyway. To get back to it, uh, again, just thank you to everybody who's taken the time to support the show, to interact with us on Discord and Twitter. It means a lot to us. And if you're looking for other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Tee Public and buy T-shirts of the silly things that we say. Um, or go to Anchor and you can uh, support us with a monthly subscription. There are lots of ways to support us. And whatever your level of commitment in our community, it means a lot to us that you guys take the time uh, to do so. So thank you, everybody who takes the time out of their day to to interact or to support. It means a lot to us. So thank you guys so, so much for listening all right, let's get back to it. So we get a lot of uh, Penny's backstory, actually, in this episode. You know, the episode doesn't start necessarily with carnage on the street. It starts with Penny's hands just sort of clenched together. And this sad robot hand trying to comfort her. Oh, man, poor Penny in this episode. And we find out a little bit more of her origin story and how Pietro was able to create her. And so it looked like there were uh, <coughs> that Ironwood challenged some top minds in in the kingdom to, cre- you know, basically t- to take the next step in technological advancement. And out of everybody's proposal, this protector with a soul that Pietro created is the one that Ironwood it's the horse that Ironwood backed. And as a result of that, um, we find out that one of these top minds was actually Watts. And whether or not... Now, that that presents a lot of questions about whether or not he was one of the people directly working on the Penny Project or if it was one of his projects that wasn't chosen over Pietro's project. And as a result, he might have become jealous that his work was viewed as secondary to Pietro's. So I have a lot of questions about this origin story that we get. Um, What was your initial reaction upon seeing Pietro's hand covering part of the photo? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. The instant I saw it, I pointed at the screen and I went, Arthur, that's Arthur. And, and my wife said, shut up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but either, either way, it was just like, they're hiding that deliberately. And it's like, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't expect them to reveal that at the end of the scene, but it was, um, it, it tells me that at the very least, I think Arthur has Penny's source code. And even just with that, he can do whatever the hell he wants with it. Stacy, 
So for me, it was the opposite. It was actually my husband that beat me to the punch. <laughs> Boy, that's what! <laughs> <laughs> and yes, his style was uh, dimmed down by that lab coat, but it was unmistakably him. So very exciting when they were uh, a mustard turtleneck. That's Arthur. Oh, yeah. yeah, it is. Also, I want to go on record to saying that I suppose Robbie and I are the same person. <laughs> Megan and I were uh, when that happened, we missed a little bit of dialogue because the second we saw that photo, we both went. Ah! So, yeah, that was uh, that was a thing. And what I found interesting about this rewatching the scene and actually catching all of the dialogue is that Pietro mentioned that most of his <coughs> colleagues looked for more traditional methods, which implies that he was not the only one who went to Defender with a Soul. So it's possible that even if his project was picked over Watts's and over everyone else's, that when their projects were dropped, they were then reassigned to work on the Penny Project because that is sometimes how these things happen. So I will be very surprised if Watts did not work on Penny in some capacity. And we already have disgraced Atlesian scientist, doctor, whatever, um, faked his own death. So the question is, what was the disgrace? What happened? What did he do? Keep in mind, if we think he's Frankenstein, we still don't quite have Frankenstein's monster. I've been postulating ever since you started talking just for that very thing of Frankenstein confirmed. He also wanted something with a soul, but he was using (gasps) biological matter as opposed to technological matter. It's entirely possible. Whether that's trying mm-hmm. to convert Grimm, whether that's trying to create your his own Grimm to be controlled, or whether it was humans or cyborgs or whatever, yeah, I, I think this is where we could... Even if it was just him working on the Penny Project, that could be something related to a Frankenstein origin story. And that would also explain, again how he knows so much about Penny, how he's able to manipulate Because we were wondering, how did he make Tyrion invisible to her? Well... Source code. Yep. Yep. And then also, so we have... We already know that Tyrion's working with them. So there's this, oh, well, you know, he's a serial killer who disappeared. Great. So then who else are we adding on this team? This Atlesian scientist who is supposedly dead. So how... I'm kind of wondering at that point, like... Once they start putting this together, like, oh, this person disappeared, and he's with Salem. Oh, this person was supposedly dead, and he's with Salem. How long until someone starts pulling out, like, record books or whatever and going, well, supposedly this person is dead, or this person disappeared. Is Salem working with them, too? Like, when does the paranoia set in? On this side of the fourth wall, we know who her team is. On that side, they have no idea. And that's true. And, you know, we see her little counsel. But, like, even though that's what we've been presented with, that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the only people working for her. Um, She's been at this for a long time. So I'm sure that there are plenty of people off screen that she just a lot of lot of um, pots that she, you know, she has a hand in 
making. I don't I don't know if that's the right fingers and fingers in pies. That's it. And then I was like, why would anyone put their finger in a pie? And it made no sense to me. But anyway, that's the way the turn of phrase goes. It's kind of a way of claiming this land for Spain (laughs) Uh, or the dragon (laughs) continent, I guess. But the um, yeah, I I love the idea because, you know, Watts, you know, they there's been a lot of talk on on our end about whether he represents Frankenstein or whether he represents Watson. I think it's kind of irrelevant because characters in Ruby can serve dual purposes or they can serve dual roles. Like I, I postulated at the end of volume three that Ruby not only represented Little Red Riding Hood, but also Dorothy within the story of the Wizard of Oz. Like, so we can have a character that represents two people in fiction as opposed to just one. Um, But I really love that idea that like, the thing that disgraced him was a Frankenstein-esque creation. Um, and so he's like, well, that was a bust. I have to go fake my own death now. Bye. Um, but what I really love about this is that it makes Penny and the way that they've used Penny, that, that Salem's team has used Penny, that makes it way more personal, <laughs> Like the the way that the fact that Watts was involved in some capacity in her creation to me makes the fact that they've used her multiple times to further their own agenda far more of a personal thing than just some smart guy hacking into her system. Like, I don't know. It just it feels far more. It feels far more like. Ah, I, I'm doing this because I had a personal stake in this as opposed to just, no, this is what Salem wanted me to do. He's pulling her strings. Ooh. Well, also, um. if he if he's been a part of this project, he knows that uh, her aura comes from Pietro. So in constantly taking down Penny, he's also killing Pietro slowly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the greatest mechanical minds in uh, Atlas. And hey, two birds, one stone. Two birds, one serial killer. Stacy, I'm sorry. uh, You said something and I couldn't hear it. Oh, just oof. Yeah, just oof. The biggest of oof. Big oof. (laughs) Big oof. That's what this whole moment is. Just big oof. But yeah, can we talk a little bit about Pietro? Not not creating an artificial aura and instead giving some of his own. So it's like, this isn't just this is my creation. It's this is my kid. She's a part of him. Yeah, that again, that makes it far more personal than just like this is a project I made that I'm really proud of. No, this is this is an extension of him. And yeah, if Penny gets destroyed again, he doesn't. Like that, the implication here is that he doesn't have enough energy or enough of his aura left to bring her back without the cost of presumably his own life. So, guys, I yeah, let's go ahead and hop on over into conspiracy corner. Is Penny going to get destroyed again, and is Pietro going to give his life to to bring her back? And then that's that's it for him. What do we think? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. I would say, yeah. I mean, there there's a lot of stakes that are being presented for various situations. And this, to me, seems like it could be the most likely one to 
take into effect because that makes every future battle with Penny mean even more. Because, oh, we were introduced, oh, Penny's back. Cool. So that must not have been that hard. And now we find out that it's very hard. So now that they've established the stakes of what every battle that Penny goes into is, I think they'll either toy with us some more or maybe they'll figure out a way to make it so that everybody lives. But I I, I don't know. I think this is one of the more likely uh, bad news outcomes that this season has presented so far. Stacy. Yeah, I agree. If we go down that route, uh, they've crafted this parent-child relationship. They've crafted the idea where we kind of implicitly understand that, yes, it takes a giant toll on him, but he absolutely would do it for her sake. So when it comes down to that, that would be his reaction would be to sacrifice himself to bring her back. And he probably sees it as she is the greater good for Mantle despite his own achievements within the community. So I can see that being a sacrifice. Katie? Well, knowing this definitely explains the uh, aura transfer machines and why Atlas has them at all. Like, oh, they were made for this project. Good to know. Um, I appreciate that it created the stakes for the characters and for the audience. So it kind of takes out the audience's oh, well, she's a robot, she's kind of functionally immortal, we'll just bring her back again. Oh, wait, no, we no longer have that get-out-of-death-free card because it was never free in the first place. So I appreciate that it creates those stakes and it sets those expectations straight. I don't know if they'll go back to killing her again because, god damn, we did that once already. Ruby's more creative than that. They'll make it hurt worse. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, oh, no. no. <laughs> never said i was a good person um i i kind of have to concur i feel like they've they've whether or not they choose to go that route um doesn't really matter at the moment the fact that they've set those stakes though in place is what's important because yeah i'll be honest the first time penny was killed it was sad but in the back of my head i was like well she's a robot just rebuild her and as we as you guys have pointed out yeah no it doesn't work that way and so i i appreciate them taking the time to establish that it's not as easy as oh just just fix her now there is another thing in this scene uh the fact that they're currently scanning they're they're using her internal recording to essentially disprove that like she's at fault basically they're they're looking at her internal recording to clear her name and once that that's all been fixed like they're like oh well this will prove that she was not responsible for what happened to robin since we know that watts had access to her in the first place that he maybe has access to her source code or that perhaps he can hack into her to put her into terminator mode we don't know is there a possibility that he could, in fact, doctor her internal recording to to basically essentially prove that she was the one that did it in the same way that he he basically uploaded the deep fake? Is that a possibility or is that outside of his capability? Let's start with Stacy. I feel like if 
it does happen that so the reason that she couldn't see Tyrion was because he was messing with her raw input data then yeah I guess he could have altered that scene so that her recording appeared to be what he uploaded although I wonder if it would still have to match what you know what we saw through her eyes since that would have technically been what she had recorded at that point Mark it's interesting like I think with this it would invalidate the invalidation of the doctored footage in the sense of oh no that footage was doctored they were transferring the data and they won't see that Tyrion was there unless they can go deep, 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 deep and really like unscrew the BS that Watts put in there. I think the, I know this footage will prove that it was, oh, but it didn't prove anything. So then what's fake? What's real? What's this? I don't think this is going to help in the least bit. To be honest, when we were coming up from the scene with the the relic chamber, I thought that was going to be Winter saying, hey, we looked through all of the footage and we can't find a damn thing. But uh, I I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Ah! Yeah. It could be that all of a sudden that footage mysteriously disappears, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it might not be as complicated as like, oh, he, he completely doctored footage to uh, for her internal recording to make it look like she's the perpetrator. It may very well just be like, oh, that, that footage went missing. Um, or it could be that like we don't even get a chance to do that before he hacks into her and puts her into Terminator mode. Like that might be irrelevant. They might not get the chance to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, it really is. It, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they do get the footage out intact. But at that point, again, we're running on, oh, well, okay, Penny was innocent. It's this serial killer who's been missing for years. They're really at fault. Like, it doesn't matter at that point. The footage that was out first is what the public's going to believe unless they can physically produce Tyrion. And we all know how easy that is. Well... Uh, Mark, you were touching on it. We have this scene <coughs> between Ironwood and Oscar. And this, oh man, this was a really good scene. Like, not only do we get some really good lore bits to it, um, but we get a lot of where Ironwood and Oscar are at as characters. And um, so I wanted to know, what did you guys think of this moment between the two of them? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. So... First of all, let me stay on brand and say, <laughs> uh, let me stay on brand and say that the floating Isle of Atlas is gonna come crashing down. Uh, oh my God! Yes. Now that we uh, now that we huh? learned that the staff can do one thing at a time, and right now it's like you know what? Let's support the entirety of this city state with one thing that we know is going to be a an object of intrigue to various parties, both of ill will, neutral will and positive will, um, wills all around. But like is now I just want to know if there's a fail safe. Do we have enough gravity dust to keep it up? Did all of the gravity dust that they have go to Amity Coliseum? Like, yeah, nice scene, whatever. But there's a lot of people that's going to die like legit. <laughs> is there a fail safe, Mark? This is Ozpin we're talking about. Of course, there's not of a course fail, there's safe. No fail safe. <laughs> um, 
but uh, I did like how, similarly to the scene before with James listening to Nora, that he's willing to listen to Oscar and not Ozpin in Oscar, but just Oscar. And we don't know where the mind meld is currently standing right now and how much of Ozpin's experience is sort of informing Oscar's thoughts, but it was lovely. Like ultimately I, I just freaked out when we saw the, the chasm after we, uh, after the thing was over, my wife was like, why did you freak out when that scene started? I was like, because like they showed us the, like the last time we saw the room where it happened, there several <laughs> people died or were frozen alive or whatever. Like the, uh, we have seen a similar place where cataclysmic events have happened. And now that we have been shown this one and they gave us a hell of amount of, of an amount of foreshadowing of the safety of both cities, like, Ooh, like, Oh, mm. yeah, this was a fun <laughs> scene. This is a fun, fun, fun. Katie. Oh yeah. No, it it's God. It's absolutely coming down. The spear can only be used for one thing at a time. Okay. And we've seen that chunk of ground where um, Atlas came out of, essentially. We've seen that crater. So I would not be surprised if it winds up back in the crater. And honestly, just sociopolitically, it might be better for both Atlas and Mantle to be on the same damn level again so maybe we can get our priorities in order but that is uh that's that's a little bit of reaching that's a little bit of reaching uh yeah no it's it's absolutely coming down let's be completely real but yeah i mentioned this a little earlier i do appreciate that ironwood can have that conversation with oscar and that oscar can offer that making yourself the only person with the answers making yourself the single point of failure is not gonna lead anywhere good it's it's not as helpful as you think it'll be and oscar can't tell him why because then that gets into well we talked to jen and we found out about ospin's backstory and he's kind of hiding in shame right now and you know it's it's a problem it's a problem you know, all that stuff that we decided not to tell Ironwood at the outset. But I appreciate that they can still have that conversation. And again, that Ironwood is the kind of person who can surround himself with people who will argue with him and call him out. And that to an extent, he is still able to listen to those people. So I can appreciate that. But also, yeah, no, that city's coming down. It might come down as a disaster or it might come down as a, all right, well, we actually need to bring the city down so we can use the spear to put Amity Coliseum up because there's no other way to do it. Like, it, it, either which way, that city's not staying in the clouds. That's not happening. I like the idea of them using the staff to lower Atlas back to Mantle's level. I, I do really like that. Hopefully... It won't be in a cataclysmic way, but let's be real. It, this is this is definitely going to be like a Final Fantasy VII situation where one oh. section of the city is going to fall onto another section of the city. Um, Stacy, what do you think of this whole uh, of this whole scene? We can only hope that it's a very controlled lowering of the city. <laughs> that would be best case scenario. But man, yeah, that was some foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> I think this interaction between Ironwood and Oscar is so interesting because it definitely. We know that Ironwood wants Ozpin to come back. We know that Ironwood wants Ozpin to, you know, take his place with Oscar and 
as he tells Oscar at one point, you know, oh, eventually you won't even, you know, be able to remember the differences between you and the other Ozpins. And Oscar's clearly very uncomfortable with that. So here's Ironwood opening up and I didn't get the sense that he was just opening up because he was trying to coax Ozpin back up. He really does like seem to listen to an opinion that is clearly Oscar versus who he respects as Ozpin. So this was a different this was a different swing for Ironwood uh, from the beginning of the episode. He was much calmer, much more willing to listen. It was it was a less contentious conversation where they still made forward steps. So we'll see what happens, you know, if maybe Ospin decides not to come back out and will that frustrate Ironwood in the future? Hey, so I I want to say something crazy again. Go for it. Yes. So we're all like, yes, this is everything that is happening and this is actual. What if this is all bullshit? Like we're, we're <laughs> no, no, like, but, but hear me out. Like, hear me out. So I, I made the prediction that uh, when our team told Ironwood about the about Jin and about the relic and was just like this and and Ironwood took from what we know Ironwood took that as facts and trusted as everything this entire volume is about trust and information and who do we tell what do we keep what do we tell everybody and what what if this was the counter of that scene with Ironwood giving Oscar information and Oscar just accepting it as, yep, that's it. When who it could, and we didn't even, we didn't see the relic like we did in the, uh, the other scene that I'm referring to. So how, how do we actually know that, that his word is law when they haven't even declared martial law yet? But w- essentially is like, how, how do we know? We don't, we don't know. And that's terrifying. I would love for this to just be a nice scene but there is the possibility that this could be the other scene turned around on its head and ironwood is withholding some if not all of the truth from oscar yeah wouldn't it be funny if the staff wasn't in there at all yeah because because, like you said uh james wants oz back and what if he was trying to uh get a reaction what if he was trying to say all of this bullshit so that oz can come through and be like ah no that that is not actually what everything is like i'm i'm back i'm back i'm back baby (laughs) are you suggesting that ironwood is messing with oscar just so ozpin will come out to call his bullshit yes because i'm into it (laughs) okay legit legit i'm uh you know i'll take it yup Mark, what <laughs> did you just turn into like a hermit in the conspiracy? <laughs> oh, yes. Welcome to the real conspiracy corner. <laughs> oh man. Get on my level, plebes. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, this place is officially a lair. Like you can't argue with that. It's a lair. Yeah. <laughs> What I uh, I love about that is um, because, yeah, we as the audience are kind of implicitly trusting what Ironwood is saying as fact. I I really like that idea, Mark. Um, and yeah, to touch on what Stacy was saying, 
the the moment that really stood out to me there were there were two it was Oscar it was uh, Ironwood telling Oscar soon you won't know who is who and that idea really does seem to make him uncomfortable because like it's an it's another reminder that eventually he's not going to be the one living his own life anymore like it's bad enough that he already had to kind of share um it that he already had to share his life with um with Ozpin and now Ozpin has basically been like peace out here's all this responsibility that you didn't ask for and all of my mistakes have fun with that kid like the idea that Ozpin could come back unceremoniously and basically take Oscar's life away from him and that that seems to be an inevitable aspect of his destiny yeah that's kind of a bummer for the poor kid um, and the sun is slightly warm. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a bummer is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> oh, man, my life's not mine anymore. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> mm. um, but uh, another thing that was really a standout in this uh, in this particular scene is the discussion about humanity and how it's important to hold on to our humanity and I think it's in this moment, too, not just the opening of this episode, where we really understand how close <coughs> Ironwood is to towing that line and going over the edge. Because he has this whole quick monologue about how Salem has a huge advantage over them because she has lost sight of her humanity. And... Just that that whole moment where he's staring at the monitor and going on like, you know, she doesn't have to be afraid. She doesn't have to hesitate, you know, and how his fear and his humanity are ultimately the thing that's holding him back. And how in one moment she made him feel so small and helpless. And I, I love the way this whole scene wraps up with Oscar being like, it's OK to be afraid you just can't let that fear control you. And I do believe in you, but you're not the only one. Like, I love how it wrapped up. But, like, we really get insight into how close to going just completely off the rails Ironwood really is. And, yeah, <laughs> I feel like this whole season's really taking a toll on him. And I hope, I hope he doesn't go over that edge. But I feel like it's important to establish just how close to teetering around teetering off he really is also remember that ironwood is based off of the tin man who doesn't have a heart oh but he had a heart all along <laughs> is what the liar said <laughs> let's talk about what's to come in the next episode because the the way we leave this episode is that everyone's been invited to a dinner party yay nothing bad ever happens at a dinner party <laughs> Jacques Schnee has invited everyone to dinner so that basically Ironwood can defend his seat on the council I don't know if that's how council positions work <laughs> I kind of just figured once you were elected to office Unless you did something really, really bad, like you're there until your term is done. I didn't think that other members of the council could just kick you out, but something tells me that if the council is as weak as we've been led to believe they are, and Jacques Schnee doesn't care about the rules, 
<laughs> something tells me that precedent doesn't really mean much to him. So what does the next episode have in store for us at this dinner party? Because I feel like the episode could very well start off playing the reigns of Castamere. What do we think is to come? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. So I think that this is all just a sting for the bad guys where uh, Arthur is going to get a whole lot of angry Ironwood saying things that he can flip and manipulate and create new public messages. And this will sort of create the image that we see in the intro of the rock being thrown at the video screen with Ironwood, but Jacques gets is sort of like the the flip image. Ooh. So I, I think this is another way of, of sort of deep faking the deep state uh, that Arthur is going to be doing. Um, ultimately, I think it's just going to be a battle of wits between uh, between James and Jacques, and it's all going to get captured on tape whether they know it or not, and. I think Jacques is going to hope for James to slip up and how much trust is Jacques or is James going to put into Jacques before all of that gets released to the public, causing him to be further disgraced. And, if, you know, we've had a, a great string of episodes with very bad endings, and I think that's going to continue. <laughs> I think that's probably a pretty solid prediction. Stacy, Yeah, hard to argue with that. I do think that this, by bringing all of them in for this dinner, this is definitely an invitation to start trying to sow discord, to find where, like, the weaknesses are, where the differences of opinions, and really dig in and just start, like, I mean, Jacques is good at one thing, right? Getting under people's skin, especially his daughters. He knows what will, like, set them off, what will become of a problem how to kind of find where they don't quite agree so so far they're working as a pretty cohesive unit so we're going to work on breaking that down we're already shifting the public opinion now you need to internally start to manipulate the relationships there katie are we gonna meet mom oh like are we gonna meet mom um, that's, that's kind of, honestly, that's part of what I'm thinking. I'm also thinking that, like I mentioned earlier, that Watts is going to take the time before this to maybe gather some previous footage of Ironwood, some previous stuff that he's done, dig up some records, whatever. I do also think that this might be a step forward for Weiss because we had this little, I don't know if we touched on this during the scene with Penny where who could possibly have gotten into the grid? Well... Atlas's grid is pretty well protected. The only people who have access are security people, Ironwood, the council, and people who run um, necessary systems. And we find out that the heating grid, which is a necessary system, runs in in, uh, cooperation with the Schnee Dust Company. So... She, there, there's something there, and we haven't quite formulated that thought yet, because I think there's also that unwillingness to believe, like, yeah, sure, Dad is the worst human, but there's that unwillingness to believe that he took this seat underhandedly like that. Like, I feel like that's one of those things where once you start thinking that about your parents, you don't go back, and so it's a hard thing to really put into words, 
But I'm sure that is going to come up eventually because let's be real, Weiss is smart. Um, as for how this dinner is going to go, I saw this on a Tumblr post when I was tooling around last night. And I don't remember who wrote the post, but I want it because I think it's going to make Megan very happy. Um, <laughs> okay. What, what this Tumblr post said, like, it wasn't, I don't know if it was a serious theory, but I thought it was hysterical. What they said is, I want the whole council there, and I want someone to die from a poison cup that was supposed to go to Jacques. So we have a setup for a murder mystery, and they lock down the mansion, and everyone has to figure out what happened. So we have all these little conversations happening in all these little side rooms and people trying to figure things out, and it's just a full-on locked door whodunit. So what this person is proposing is that we put... Volume 7 of Ruby on pause, and we have the movie Clue happen. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of Clue, a little bit of Knives Out, a little bit of, you know, just a a very Agatha Christie murder mystery. Like, yeah, let's do it. I don't think that's where we're going, but I would... I would love nothing more than if that's what happened. (laughs) I knew that would bring you joy. I doubt... I doubt it's going to happen, and I seriously doubt that Jacques would allow someone to be murdered in a meeting happening at his house because that would destroy any illusion of power that he was building, but damn. I'm I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. Um, I really love, um, like, the, the setup for this. I really love the idea that Arthur could take what happens at this meeting out of context and present it to the people. Like, I really, I really appreciate that. I really love it. I also really love the fact that Weiss is sort of slowly putting this all together. I, I, I do another show where I constantly lament that um, one character should become a detective, should just give up her, her what she her current criminal career and should just become a detective. Um, and I kind of want sort of something similar here. I love the idea of Detective Weiss. I love the idea of um, us kind of forming a little bit of a Scooby gang and getting to the bottom of this mystery. It was old man Schnee all along. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I kind of dig that. Um, I feel like she could get to the bottom of this mystery. But I also really love that Robin is still running around in the background, that her semblance is, you know, being able to tell when someone's telling the truth and having that going on in the background as a man who has risen to power did so illegitimately. So I'm wondering if, you know, if you don't mind me, again, I'm kind of, I've definitely planted myself in conspiracy corner here. I'm thinking that Robin is going to be the key to disproving Jacques' rise to power and also eventually legitimizing the message um, that Ironwood wants to propose to the entire kingdom of full transparency. Like, if they somehow manage to get Amity Tower working, I kind of feel like Robin is the one that should be presenting the message of who Salem is and the importance of uni- staying together and being united as a kingdom. 
I kind of feel like the message is going to come from her because she's the best candidate for uniting people. And thus I come back to soft skills are important. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a little too optimistic of me, <laughs> given given who's writing this series. Um, maybe it's a little bit too optimistic of me to assume that Robin will not only be on their side, but also be able to convey the message and that it will be successful. Maybe that's me just lining up way, way too much optimism uh, before the the series, the season is out. But I don't know. Fingers crossed. All right, on that note, I think that means we're going to wrap it up for this week. Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can find me on Twitter at Mark B. Donican, on Instagram at the same place. Uh, I post random stuff about cartoons and wrestling and theme parks. Uh, So make sure to check check all that stuff out there. Uh, Support us on tpublic.com slash the rooster team. There are sales going on right now leading up to Christmas and the end of the year, and it, it helps us out a lot. We appreciate your listenership. Stacy. I'm Stacey Shuttle. You can find me all over at Stacy Shuttles. Uh, if you check out the social, uh, see all the piles of fabric that I'm currently swimming yeah. in and just crying over. Uh, there's a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to talk Ruby theories, uh, the Rooster Chief Discord, our Rooster Team, is a great place to find me for that. Katie? I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you enjoy reaction videos to Ruby and other Rooster Teeth properties and just stuff in general, they live on that YouTube channel. And I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I have another... Uh, YouTube channel called Silver Screams that's where Katie and I talk about horror related things and uh, I do a podcast that's a lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost where my co-host Will Link loves Lost and I don't and we discuss Um, you can follow the whole team here at the Rooster Team on Twitter uh, again, you can support us on Anchor, uh, join our Discord, support us on Tee Public, all that cool stuff. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. This has been Ruby Redux, and now it's time to say goodbye. <laughs>